to our daily gun show we come to you live every weeknight at midnight eastern and we talk about guns for an hour uh, we've been doing this for something like 700 episodes we started out originally to attempt to host a daytime show over on gun channels and uh our goal me and bob was was to act as djs and offer a platform where people could present 10 or 20 minute videos and we would do, you know, three of those a day and then do a little chat in between, talk about the videos and, and give people a platform to uh, post stuff on a daily show. And that would give us an excuse to talk about a new gun shop every day and uh, talk about guns and uh, gun of the day kind of thing. Talk about members over on gun channels and feature them each day. And it never really got the traction we were looking for. So it evolved over and over throughout the years been years i guess now and uh the one thing that we have kept true to is trying to do the show on a regular daily basis uh, every weeknight uh like the recording there from the movie red dawn we try to do it at midnight or else at noon and uh we'll continue to effort at that uh, but really our goal is to uh to put some effort into new media to an interactive type of uh chat a conversation that the people who are watching live can be part of, the people that watch it after or listen to it after the fact can also be part of, and to encourage people and uh, challenge people to use these platforms that we we put these things out on. Right now we're putting it out on YouTube because we have to, there's no other options that are viable. That's changing and we'll be the first to try the new platforms. We were one of the first to put the live stuff with guns on YouTube. And I'll be one of the first to jump off of this horrible platform that hates guns. It means they hate us. They hate our what we consider to be important. So I do appreciate the people that join us on a regular basis to be part of this experiment, this uh, effort in new media, and the people that, uh, that communicate with us over on the Gun Channels platform. Many people, dozens and dozens of people, every single month devote some of their hard-earned money to keeping gun channels going. It's a community that's five years old now. Uh, it's had its ups and downs, it's uh, ebbs and flows, and we're still kicking and we're still talking about guns. You know, we have lots of different creators doing all kinds of stuff, lots of people who enjoy that real conversation. And uh, the uh, ulterior motive to it all is to leave pipelines of communications open so that when necessary, we can get information out there that's important. So uh, we have people like Hosh, who's attempting to do things outside the internet, using radios and other electronic ways of communication, which is awesome. We've got people like Clover, who just finished a nerd chat where we talk about the nuts and bolts, uh, doing how we create content out there, and uh, all different kinds of stuff. So that's a little introduction to the show. I haven't done that in a while, so I forget to... Uh, that not everyone has been listening to the show for 700 episodes, but somebody who has been a long time and who's been putting in effort all over the place since, 
I can't even remember how long we've been around or I've known Dano being around, but it was pre gun channels, right? You were around on YouTube. Yep. Yep. So at least five or six, seven years that we've known each other. Anyway, Dano is the host of the show and thanks for jumping in here in Illinois. I am back in Arizona, but I'm not home. So I'm somewhere else in Arizona trying not to go home, but uh, pointed that way. And I guess it's just us tonight. I've got quite a few links out there and uh, we'll see. They're having some interesting conversations. There's lots of stuff happening in the, in the background with uh, content creators all the time. And uh, I'm sure a bunch of them are still in Clover's chat, but uh, we'll see if other people jump in. I think we've got some interesting topics tonight. The uh, shows have been kind of scrambled since I've been on the road and I haven't been able to uh, post as consistently as I want to. Um, I've just been recycling the show, so the numbering system is all screwed up. But this is good idea, bad idea. So it's really a Wednesday show. But we're going to talk about uh, the best movie uh, starring the AK-47. I'm stealing that from a show Matt should do. And then uh, good idea, bad idea, cleaning guns after every time you shoot it. Now, I'm pretty sure Dano and I have already talked about that, but not with whoever's watching tonight, probably. And, and is anybody who's ever heard me in the past on, on movie night knows that that's my strongest category is movies. <laughs> well, we'll do the cleaning part first. Then, like I say, I'm pretty sure we've hit that before, but uh, do you clean every time you go shooting? Uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, and uh, that's because uh, uh, I, I always bring my carry gun with me, and I have more than one carry gun, uh, depending on where I'm going, how I'm going to dress, and I want to be sure that it's uh, going to be uh, as fully operational as it can be. And uh, the thing I don't like about having a dirty gun is it's easy to go from you know using it once and then just skipping it. And of course, it's made to be used a lot. You know, you know, you don't, you don't certainly have to clean it every time. But I don't. I'm not good at tracking things. It's like, well, did I have 500 rounds since I've cleaned it? Has it been a thousand rounds? Has it been two thousand? So it's just I feel more comfortable knowing that it's a clean and well lubricated tool, um, rather than having to track it every time. And for the guns that I don't necessarily use or don't plan on using for self defense, I don't know how often I will bring them out again. So I like knowing that whatever's put away is clean and whether I don't shoot it for a year or I don't shoot it for, you know, six months, it's, it's fine where it is. That's a good point. And that's something that I don't think everybody thinks about, especially if you've got a gun or two, because you're shooting your guns every time you go out. But as soon as you get to where you've got a third or fourth, you know, that you don't bring out, you know, you've got a gun or more that you're not bringing out every time. You, you know, you go hunting or something, you put it up and you think, well, I'm going hunting next weekend. And then that falls through. And then before you know it, hunting season's over and you never touch that gun again for a year. You know, that's happened. So that same thing can happen going to the range. Well, I'm going to shoot this thing next weekend. I'll just clean it right. then. And then something falls through and you, have, you don't shoot that gun again for eight months. Right. And, uh, you know, not all uh, lubricants are created equal. And that's, you know, as far as what I'll call shelf life inside your gun once it's applied as far as having the same lubrication qualities you know uh after immediately after you lubricate your gun versus six months later if it hasn't been touched it may suddenly be a whole lot drier and having a whole lot more friction and that may impede the operation of your firearm 
Now, I was raised by, I think, uh, Cycle said it the other day, like, we would wipe the guns down with oil cloths or whatever, clean them all the time, and then wipe them down with oil cloths and then put them back into the safe by the wood. Like, we never touched the metal after the oil. And uh, it's because I grew up where there's rust. And I think what's happened is, number one, not my dad's guns anymore. They're mine. So, you know, my determination or my whatever, you know, rules, I guess. And then I don't have rust, you know, knock on wood. We just don't have it the same way as you people have it. So um, if I leave something dirty, it's dirty. It's not ruined. Right. Right. But I think for a, a, a firearm that you would potentially use for self-defense, that would still apply, though, I would think. As far as wanting to make sure that it's in that it's always in um, uh, good working order, which means lubricated. Hmm. I mean, there's different ways to look at that. I mean, you're never gonna you, you can't you can I guess it's possible you're not gonna seize up a pump shotgun. You know, I mean, you never clean a pump shotgun. Maybe the firing pin will get fouled. I mean, there's not much that's going to happen to a pump shotgun. Yeah, on a revolver, it's probably a whole lot less sensitive to that. I guess I'm thinking of semi-autos. Yeah, right, exactly. So, but then that's the thing. Like, I guess I was saying, too, is that, you know, you're not, you don't know when you're not going to touch that gun again for nine months. And that's when uh, those fingerprints you left on it, just from using it are going to turn into little rust circles everywhere. Right. Yeah, you, you've now decorated your gun with permanent fingerprints. <laughs> but if you're thinking of these things as investments, that's not good. So there is something to that. Like if you're considering them commodities, you know, some people have heirlooms and they're never going to sell, but then there's, you know, commodity. You've got a shotgun, you know, you use it this year and you're not shooting at it anymore. Or you got a competition gun, you're not shooting at it anymore. You know, you move it and you buy something else that you're into. Uh, it's a little tougher when it's all rusty and gross. Right. Speaking of rusty and gross, Bob jumped in. Welcome. And <laughs> 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 we got Sandy, Sand Hills jumping in from the uh, weird looking shape in Nebraska. Yes. The home of Ditchweed. Did you say weird looking? Yeah, I was wondering about that the other day. I can see the one side is a river, but what's going on over there? With uh, what did Colorado take a big bite out of you? Kinda. They kind of horn in where they're not wanted, but <laughs> I don't know the history of it. I've seen that show where the states got their shape, but I don't think they ever did in Nebraska. At least I never saw it. Yeah, well, they're sitting on top of Kansas, so. Well, I got actually the the, uh, the the state lines used to be quite a bit different like even up there where my star is where where i came from um the state line used to come down further south right there where it's straight mm -hmm. it used to come down further to the niagara river and that's that's all been of course changed when the official state line got established but yeah i don't know all of the story either behind how how we got our shape but we do have a very distinct, well, every state except for Colorado and Wyoming have their own distinct shape. Pretty much. I think, what is it, Pennsylvania looks pretty rectangular. But uh, I think it was mainly um, 
I was thinking about it because I think it was at Dead Horses. We were ended up talking about like the Mormons and how they had moved over. Uh, well, got kicked out at various places. And when they took Salt Lake City and then, you know, that was before there was a country out here. I don't even know if it was Louisiana Purchase yet. I think they just came out here and claimed territory. So whenever the government came along, the United States government said, hey, here's, why don't you be a state now? They had all kinds of issues. And we were talking about how they, originally it was going to be a big giant state of Oregon, I think. And it was going to be like giant. It was going to be like Washington, Oregon, chunk of California, Nevada, Utah. And then the Mormons were like, hell no. Or probably not that. They probably said, nope. And then kind of whittled out Utah shape. And I'm guessing... The other terror, you know, people who lived in those other territories were like, you know, whatever disputes they have. Well, as well as, you know, honestly, you know, the people in the East didn't truly comprehend how big the West was. There's no way, yeah. And there's no way, you know, you can manage a state of that size. They they just think that. Yeah, how does someone like, you know, okay, the 14th parallel or the 38th parallel, whatever those parallels were, like, Come on. And how do they like know? Rhode, Rhode Island, people from Delaware, Connecticut. These are tiny, tiny states. Yeah. Yeah, we've got quite a few counties out here that are bigger than states back there. There's a county in Nebraska that's roughly the size of Rhode Island. And then, it's our biggest county, but yeah, it's about the size of Rhode Island. I wouldn't be surprised if we have forests, you know, like just one chunk of national forest named something with boundaries. Like I would, I would imagine we've got forests that are bigger some of the states back there. Probably so close probably, to it, you know. And that's just a bunch of woods inside of another state, you know, <laughs> that are just happen to be boundary by some, I don't know. Anyway, we're getting way off topic. I think we were talking about putting guns away after each shoot. So Bob, do you put your guns away or do you clean them up after each shooting? No. And you've got different situations than us with Canada has always uh, got snow or rain or something, right? Or yeah, is it's, it uh, it, it's different every month, basically. You know, but, but yeah, I don't know. They don't seem to rust. I, I generally, I'll, I've been known to just open the gun safe door and spray some, you know, uh, lubricant in there and close the door again. I've done that. I've done that with tools for sure. Like open up a drawer in a toolbox and just spray a WD-40 in it, close the drawer. Yeah. I mean, really, as long as you get a misting of oil on it, it generally stops the rust. So, Sandhills? You know, up until, up until just recently, I haven't had a gun that was um, that was worth saving from some rust, I guess. I mean, I've got, you know, an old, an old Savage Pump 22 that was my dad's when he was a kid and, and a beat to heck Remington 788 that, uh, the, the rust would actually improve its look. Probably it's, it's that beat up. So up until, um, up until I got my Browning, I, I never really had much need to worry about it. Um, I don't have a safe. So right now I just kind of have stuff locked up in cases, but um, I haven't fired my Browning just cause I haven't got it scoped yet. So it's still wearing it's, it's grease from the box. I haven't even cleaned it up yet. I'm just letting it, letting it wear that for now. Um, my, uh, my carry gun, I try to clean that after I shoot it and, um, and just, you know, 
once a month, get all the lint wiped out. But I, I think that uh, if, if I like my gun, I, I want to clean it up, you know, and, and especially if it's a carry gun, keep the, keep the lint and the goo and stuff, you know, cleaned out of it. But at the same time, I don't want to own a gun that won't work dirty either. So it's kind of a two edged sword in my mind. Right. And that's why I like Glocks. They work super dirty. They work clean. And uh, I know people that don't clean them uh, for competition and stuff like that. They just don't bother. And they work flawlessly. They work all the time. And I don't necessarily go with that for carry, but for another reason that you mentioned there, uh, as you're cleaning, you're also able to inspect. So if something's peening or cracking or balding or whatever, you know, something not wearing right, you can be aware of it. If you just allow the thing to keep working and you never monitor it, then yeah, you're not monitoring it, right? Well, yeah, pretty much every, everything is going to break at some point, but if you take the thing apart every now and then and look in there, you're going to kind of have an idea of how, how far away you are from that point. And I, especially for a carry gun, who wants to trust their life with something that may or may not work? Yeah, or like, you know, you're going to need it, and it's going to be needed probably, like, really fast, really well, like, you know, really in weird I mean, conditions. It's raining, there's mud on it, and it's just got to work. I'm, if I'm hunting and I, you know, pull the trigger and, and my rifle doesn't go off, you know, my life is not in danger, and I'm still going to eat whether, you know, I get a bird or a, or a deer or something. So it's not life or death, but, but uh, your personal defense weapon, that – that you kind of got to make sure that that's going to go bang every time you pull the trigger. Well, I'm not going to get into it because I want to change subjects and we're really here just to chat up for a bit, not trying to school anybody or not trying to, we're definitely not selling nothing, but at the same time, the freedom of not selling stuff means we can rag on stuff. So I got no problem with Remoil. I buy Remoil in the, spray paint size can and i have it around I, I use it for things but it is like a wd-40 it's a penetrating water displacement type of thing so let's put it in terms that everyone can understand olive oil is different than fryer oil and that's different than the oil you'd use on like a salad dressing or i don't know a sewing machine right there's different oils have different characteristics for different uses and they it was just oil. They would only make oil, right? They make all these different things because they have, you know, various, like say, characteristics, applications, uses. And I've seen people, because I live in the desert, and we don't get rust, but people put a water-based lube on stuff and get rust. Like, well, you introduced water to it. Like it says, and if you read the fine print on that label, clean all you want with it and then wipe it down with oil it's got a bunch of water in the cleaner you know so there's people that will use stuff in my opinion improperly or at least there were there's a better option for them and it doesn't always bite you but actually i've learned my lesson from putting stuff away what i thought was oiled and i got it out not protected yeah that's why i like like i generally use a g96 which is just kind of a does everything right so, Except there's there's nothing that truly does everything well. Well, maybe not. I mean, like I say, but it's it's uh, 
you know, I, I've got some old 22s and stuff that have absolutely no bluing left on them at all. And I can stick them in the safe for a year. And as long as I got a light film on them, they don't get any rust on them. They're just fine. Well, okay. So let's talk about a gun made back in the day versus a gun made today. I bet you a gun made back in the day, steel is steel and they made steel and it was made out of steel and they it's a steel gun. I suspect today, though, they figured out a long time ago just how much of this they need and how much of this filler they can put in there and maybe how much of this will still be strong so that now this steel, since they got to buy so much of it, you know, it's a couple of pennies cheaper. They mix it this way. So now maybe there's different characteristics to the steel is what I'm getting at. You know, different tendencies of it to get rusty and stuff. Is, is that a thing? Because, you know, saying quality of materials changes it's, over the years. It's absolutely a thing. Yeah, that's a point. And uh, we probably don't even think about that that much, that guns that were made back in the 50s and stuff were were a different steel than what they're making them out of today. I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, there's aluminums now, and yeah, like the Zamic and stuff like that. Like when I tried to weather my little lever action 22, it was horrible because I thought it was metal. There was almost no metal on it at all. The barrel was metal. That was it. Everything else was some <laughs> hybrid metal-ish type of thing you know talking about metals i mean it's a category that maybe people might, might be a little bit more familiar if they look at cars from the 50s and uh and, and what they were looking for and what was the cheapest and in um and and how how many different types of materials cars are made of today versus the ones from the 1950s where uh the, you know the, the the hood was the same as the as uh the bumper which was the same as the door um yeah and the you know, thing today you've got plastics you've got aluminum you've got uh all sorts of um hybrid materials i seen a dodge and i didn't make it up it was a dodge i can't help it and it, it was a pickup truck <clears throat> and it had dealer plates on it which is one of the reasons i was looking at it and its bumper i don't know i was i couldn't figure out how they did this but imagine the back bumper of a pickup truck you you go from the driver's side on the left you go across to where the the license plate is in the middle and then you bend it like a bendy straw and it came up and out from the vehicle like some kind of weird old fin on an old Chevrolet or whatever so it was like a, I don't know yeah but it looks like a crane picked it up by the bumper anyway the bumper was in this weird twist and the bumper was made out of fiberglass it was like broken fiberglass and I don't know if that's somebody who like deliberately bought a lightweight bumper or are they making bumpers out of fiberglass? Well, like on my Honda, the outside shell is plastic and on the inside is styrofoam. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy the different materials they have and again versus the 1950s solid steel bumper. Well, that's energy, energy absorption, right? Um, that's one of the reasons they're safer. Right. Um, because it, it crushes and stuff. The unfortunate part is they can get damaged and you can't tell because the plastic pops back out and the, you know. Yeah, like it pumps back into shape and you don't even know yeah. you got nailed in the parking lot that afternoon. And, and meanwhile, that foam that was supposed to absorb impact is now crushed. So next time you get hit, it's going to be more serious. Right. Because the, the foam that they used in bumpers does not have a quality which is called memory, which means it doesn't pop back to its size. It, it will If you compress it, it will stay to whatever that size was. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. So they need to be replaced. How much flex will those bumpers take, though, and still pop back? I mean, because I'm just thinking back to the first time I ever realized that that there were plastic bumpers filled with styrofoam was back in the late 90s, and I saw a a Pontiac Firebird, a new model at the time, late 90s model Firebird that had been in a wreck, or looked like, and the front half of the bumper was was cracked and busted off and you could see the styrofoam filler in the half that was still there. And I'm just thinking, well, you know, that, that plastic, yeah, it's going to flex and and maybe pop back into place, but it's going to crack. It's going to show damage. I would think if it's, if it's a hit hard enough to compress that foam, I would think that there's going to be a scuff on the paint. I think you'd know it again, unless you're not paying at all, paying any attention at all to your vehicle, in which case, then you know a yeah, lot of people I, I think the scuffing or something. I think you're right on that. Well, I've seen it. It depends on what it gets hit by, but I, I've seen them pop back out, and you know. But I only raised that topic as a point of the uh, cars are now using different materials, right. and right. guns now are using different steels, including oh, yeah. not, the gun is not entirely steel. Period. Yeah, yeah. and you know that's that's the new the new thing right the plastic guns and and you know hey i own one it's it works it's nice and light <laughs> it doesn't feel anything like you know like say something like my eye power but you know a lot of hunting rifles and things you see nowadays you know the budget ones they might still have a walnut stock but the trigger guard is plastic the uh the floor plate um, might be plastic or something, or that bottom metal, or what would be bottom metal isn't always metal anymore. Um, and of course, magazines are almost always plastic of some sort now. Even it, like even my my Browning X Bolt has got, you know, a, a very tough looking plastic magazine instead of a steel one. Yeah, you well, know, even for some of the older guns, you go to buy a new magazine. Well, it's it's the magazine for the gun, but it's it's partially plastic, whereas the old ones were all steel. You yeah. know? So, it's, so it's, how do we bring this back to cleaning and guns? Well, we talked about everybody's preferences, and like I say, we're really here just to prime the pump. Hopefully people take some of these discussions and have them at the gun shop or the gun show this weekend or out at the range or in real life with your friends when you're BSing or if you do your own shows or joint shows. No something uh, out there when the topics die down. I've got a question, though. Um, you know, we, we've established that, you know, REM oil is different than other lubricants or, you know, oils aren't the same. So what does everybody like to use for um, a cleaning solvent or oil of some sort? And then what does everybody like to use as their final, you know, their final coat that they, they apply uh, when the you when you do oil a gun, Bob, why don't you go ahead and start? Well, I yeah, yeah I'm probably the worst one to ask, but I I'll use whatever I've got. I mean, um, like I say that G96 works for cleaning as well as for lubing and stuff like that, which I kind of like because um, it's simpler that way. Um, so yeah, it's basically whatever I've got handy. And I and I will use WD forty. I'll use, <laughs> you know, I, I've used motor oil. 
I didn't have anything else handy at the time, and I had some a quarter more oil sitting there, so I just used some of it. You know, I'm not particular. Right. Um, Sand Hills, what about you? Typically, what I use right now is is just CLP. Um, like I said, I, I haven't taken the grease off of my my nice rifle. Um, my shield and my Glock, I, I don't worry as much about babying those. I mean, again, I didn't buy them to be babied. Um, so I use CLP on them, and I'll, I'll use little hoppies after I fired them, um, you know, especially around the bore and, and uh, um, breech face. But but then I'll, I'll give everything just to, you know, put a little CLP on a patch and wipe everything back down is usually what I end up doing at the end. I guess I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, is uh, I'll start off with, uh, depending on how dirty it is, you know, CLP in general, and then uh, if I need to break out the brass brush, if there's certain areas where I've got to leave their, you know, gunpowder, carbon buildup or whatever, have you, uh, to, to get that off. And then, you know, once that I'm satisfied with the uh, inside of the barrel, uh, as well as the outside and where... Uh, and other various areas is then I'll always uh, lubricate it with um, a higher end oil. I'm not brand tied to any any certain brand, but I do want a uh, higher end oil. Um, uh, as far as cleaner, uh, I I can put in a little elbow grease to get that you know that that crust off, so to speak. I don't necessarily have to have you know the latest cleaner, but I do want uh, 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 a either a synthetic or a high-end lubricant uh, when, when I'm completely done. But again, I'm, um, and I was talking, uh, I don't know if you were in here or not, Sand Hills, before, but uh, uh, I'm coming from a point of view of, uh, of this could be my, if this is my concealed carry gun as an example, I have a much higher standard for what how clean is clean enough and how uh, well inspected is it, you know, that I'm going to be carrying this and possibly defending my life with it uh, versus a gun that I'm just taking to the range and shooting for fun or accuracy or whatever, but I'm not necessarily anticipating defending my life with it. Uh, so that, that's a, a slightly different level. You know, it's so they still get cleaned. It just, I'm not as, um, uh, it, it's not as critical to me as something that I carry. So, do you have you? So, I prefer Slip. If I had to buy something, I'd probably buy Slip 2000. Uh, I like that. I like the stuff and I like the company. And that's a big chunk of it because the way Dano said something there in his description, you know, basically the oil of the day or whatever. Um, oil is, well, like Bob said, you know, oil is oil. It, will all work there's just characteristics of it that are better or worse or whatever so mortar oil you know i don't like that but it obviously works it just you know if you get motor oil in your eye i don't want motor oil in my eye or the detergent that's in motor oil in my eye it's not made to be in your eye where some of the other stuff is basically food grade so you get in your eye and it doesn't matter because it's designed to be flooding in your eye and not hurt you so just little things like that, you know, it's a characteristic that if you can, you know, purchase something with that intent, then go for it, uh, or might as well. But 
I'm like Bob in the fact that I don't try to worry too much because there's free lube everywhere. Everybody's trying to sell it to you. I guess what I was saying there is that there's lots of people that jumped into the, hey, I can market stuff and gun lube is a thing. So I can market gun lube. And it seemed like every couple of weeks there was a new flavor, a new brand, a new secret formula. And I don't know what the trademarking is, but once people started digging into it, a lot of it was just food grade oil that they would mix a little bit, you know, some ratio of mineral oil into or something. Yeah, and you'd mentioned earlier about older guns, and and you know they used to use two-in-one oil and stuff like that on older guns, primarily revolvers. But I mean, back in the days of the late eighteen hundreds and so forth, because they didn't have you know ten thousand oils to pick from. Well, that's the thing; oil is developing too hard. But just because there's two different types of food grade oil doesn't mean one of them's any better than the other one. It doesn't mean one of them isn't better than the other. But anyway, all I'm getting at is there's lots of marketing. So because there's lots of marketing, there's lots of free samples. So just keep your eyes open. You can go to the range and get free samples. You get free samples at gun shops. Trade shows are perfect because they want you to try their stuff. So they're going to have free samples. Um, Pay attention when things are closing down at a gun show. When somebody's packing up their table, they might have a thing of free samples that they got somewhere. And oil doesn't go bad, so who cares if it's two-year-old free samples, right? No one even knows. There's no dates on them. So I've got a toolbox of wet, and I've got a toolbox of tools for my gun cleaning. Like, that toolbox that's all the wet stuff, Is I've done videos on it. It's like two bottles of hops, and, and I got my Hoppies 9 at, like, you know, buying three quarters of a bottle, it's already gross for like a dollar somewhere. So I don't even buy new bottles of anything except for maybe slip. If I probably have bought a new bottle of slip if I was out somewhere and I needed it. Um, but I'll, I'll buy a half a bottle of something or an open bottle of something that's spilled out for less money. And then it does two things. One, it's way cheaper. Two, you get experience with all these different oils and solvents. And when I was actually shooting a lot and doing stuff, you know, I'd know that like, well, this one works a little better, you know, to get rid of lead fouling. And this one seems to work a little bit better if I'm just wiping the wood down, you know, or something like that. Or this one is bad, so I'm going to use it to clean a tool afterwards or something like I'm not even going to put this on my guns. So when you got those free samples, you really get a chance to, it's like a buffet. You get a chance to sample each of them, literally. You know, speaking of the samples, uh, just for a moment, is uh, something that I've noticed, and of course I haven't done a study or anything, it's just, uh, it, it, it seems that a, a lot of them, they only give you enough to like maybe do a pistol, you wouldn't necessarily have enough to do a rifle. Uh, so you're going to want to grab more than one if, if, if they're available. That's a good point, and that's like an actual literal sample, but I'm saying if somebody wants you to try their product and you're at like uh, an event of some sort and there's not a billion people there, you might get a the smallest bottle they sell as a sample or even a bigger bottle like their medium sized bottle as a sample so most of my samples are little tiny things like you're talking about but not all of them yeah i've still got to shot show and, yeah, and, and if shot shows slow or something or you're you're at an event and the, and the booth is not very fast you can always ask can i have a few of these and, and they'll either say yes or no, and then, then you've got plenty and no problem. I always say yes, because it's just something they don't have to lug home, and they bought it to get it right. out there. And they, if you're getting three, chances are you're giving one to your brother-in-law or something. But um, 
also you just go to events and do stuff like you go to a Glock event and you might walk out of there with somebody trying to sell you on their lube and they gave you a full size bottle and another bottle of their cleaner and a little rag in a mm -hmm. little bag because they know that you're a shooter and that if you have their stuff in your in your hand, chances are you're either going to love it or hate it. And if you love it, you're going to tell people and it's worth it to them to throw out a bunch of free bottles because when we get down to it. It's all oil. It's all a petroleum byproduct. So somebody's buying this stuff by the giant truckload. Somebody else is selling it by the 55-gallon drum. And that guy's wheeling it into a room and sticking it in the little tiny bottles and selling it to us for massive markups. So there's a ton of money in oils. Yeah, because they don't want to sell us one button or, or, or one bottle and then not see us for 10 years. You know, they, they want you to come in and keep buying. I think that's another reason why it's priced the way it is as well as why they tend to be small bottles. Well, we definitely got into oil. So why don't we get into movies with AKs in them? So uh, best AK movie starring the AK-47. We'll go with Dano first, and maybe we'll go three rounds around and then see what people are saying in the comments out there. In my mind, the most iconic movie, uh, which unfortunately I can't remember the title of at the moment, is the one uh, uh, that, that it's your favorite movie. Red Dawn? Yes, Red Dawn, that's it. Thank you. Uh, simply because, I mean, there's the, the I, I very distinctly remember like movie posters of, of, I forget the name of the character, but, you know, uh, I forget if it was. Um, Hard you know, Hulk standing up on the rock, holding the the AK above his head, the the rifle that he had, uh, right. as well as it, in other scenes throughout the entire movie, as well as in the hands of the bad guy. There was something like thirteen. The guy John Milius, the guy who made Conan and and uh, Dirty Harry and Apocalypse Now. Well, he was involved in all those movies. Either wrote them or directed them, or completely his movies. Uh, that guy, when he was putting together Red Dawn. He wanted it to be a significant movie and he wanted it to not be distracting by using a bunch of, you know, hobbled together movie versions of guns. So they bought authentic Egyptian semi-auto AKs, like 13 or something of them, 18, I forget. And uh, this was 1984, two years before the stupid you know, Hughes Amendment to the Gun Owners Protection Act. So... He bought those guns. They took them over to the place, turned them, well, most of them into full autos. Some of them were full auto blank firing, and a couple of them they left semi-auto. Then they gave them a cosmetic look to look like they were actually used by a bunch of Cubans and commies. And, uh, yeah, then luckily he made that because at that point in time, you know, he was able to, and it was justified for the movie. And those AKs have been around in the A-team and all kinds of TV shows and movies since. I thought that now, was just uh, a quick uh, detour, but on the Cuban AKs, what what aspects of those were different than, let's say, a Russian one? Well, in real life, Cuban AKs come from China and Russians come from Russia. Okay. The RP, uh, the uh, PK, no, the uh, RPKs, the long AKs, they couldn't get those from uh, Egypt, so those were the Dalmets, Bob. Just two. Oh, okay. And that's what they—that's what we shot up at. Did you go with me to Copper Star? No, I missed it. Oh. But anyway, that's what they've got. And 
right now. Actually, I should roll that right now. But actually, uh, they're real close to Copper Star, and that's where one of those guns is. Anyway, so yeah, definitely an iconic movie and significant to the AK as far as us as viewers of movies, because if Milius wouldn't have been as insistent on making those 13 or 18 AKs into full auto and look like real Russian guns, again, we'd be looking at some goopy looking M1 carbine with a mag sticking out of it that was supposed to be an, MC, you know, an AK probably for most of the 80s, because that was all done you know, while we were still in Cold War tension and stuff. So that was awesome. So that's another reason I like that movie so much is that I like AKs. And what's also neat about those whatever 13 or 18 AKs was that the company that had them, the, the, com the production company that used them and made them in the movie, or used them in the movie and used them in other things, uh, eventually went out of business and sold them all as inventory to Big Black Mountain or whatever it's called in Vegas. And uh, they documented every single thing about every one of those guns. So those guns are out there and people own them. They're transferable 386 full auto. So yeah, I think, well, probably that would be my number one AK movie, but there are others. Yeah, so we're gonna go around. So Dan, just jumped out. But Bob, um, I'd go Heartbreak Ridge. Okay, Clint Eastwood, The Marines. Stupid movie, but yeah, uh, but it really featured the AK, right? Where the whole like they're marching down the sand through some trees, and then he's gone, and then they're just marching, and then he comes out from behind them and shoots into the ground, and that's the distinctive sound of the weapon of your enemy. Or something. Yep. That's a good one. Uh, Santos? Um, I'm going to say First Blood Part 2. Because there's a lot of AKs being shot at Rambo in that movie. Right on. Well, I got to agree with you. And I got another piece of trivia. There's um, in Rambo First Blood Part 2 and in Rambo 3, and I think in some other movies. But anyway, in Rambo First Blood Part Two, there is a part where uh, some basically friend, no, no, it's in Rambo Three. I forget where it is in Rambo Two. But anyway, in both movies, in the in the in Rambo Two, I think it's just a bad guy. Some bad guy runs out of a building with it. And then in Rambo Three, the same piece of kit is on like his Afghanistan friend. So there's a couple of scenes where he's about to jump into a hole in the ground in Rambo 3, and you can really clearly see his little friend wearing this, uh, like a chest rig sort of thing, like a Chinese chest rig for three AK mags. And uh, anyway, I bought that off of eBay a long time ago. So I have a, a it's a fake, but it's a AK magazine chest rig that was in Rambo 2 and 3 and some other movies. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bob had it on in the pictures when we went to the Red Dawn Rocks. Bob put it on. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So Bob took a picture at the rocks where they're squirting grapefruits on each other, right when they, before they get killed in Red Dawn. Bob is standing in front of that rock wearing a chest rig that was in Rambo. Too. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that movie. I mean, that, that picture. The picture of Bob standing in front of that thing? Right. I think it went out on Instagram. I remember you guys talking about it. Holding a VZ58 in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I got like a billion pictures. That was super fun. We went out there. We went to Tina's, which is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, you got to ask her where the directions. She'll show you how to get out there. So we go out there and there's a, you, you sort of come down a hill to where this rock is. And we get to the top of this hill. We know that it's coming. And there's a cop sitting there, like a roadblock. <coughs> and I think from what I remember, there was a sign or something that said, like, bridge coming up can only hold four tons or something. I'm like, well, I'm not a problem. I'm in the cop car. But Bob's got this giant truck with this giant trailer behind it, like 8,000 pounds of trailer. Or is it more than that? Anyway, he uh, let me go. He let Bob go. And then we go down the hill. We see the rock. And I pull over. And I don't even pay attention because I'm looking at the rock. But the place we pull over to is packed. Like, there's nothing but cop cars and, like, vans and trailers and all this stuff in there. And it's not one bit of recreation. This is like a busy productions thing happening. So we figure out that we just got invited into the parking lot of like some commercial they're filming. And they're like, there's this big basin from like where we came down into this like basin and then all the way up like mile or something to the other side, like a big skateboard ramp. Except it's like a mile long and it's a road, right? And they're just, what were they, chasing like a Corvette or a Mustang or something? Yeah, yeah. Pick up. So they're chasing some car with a cop car like over and over again from one side to the other and they got this drone that looks like a fucking helicopter it's huge like it you know it takes a whole truck to support it and there's probably like five people flying the thing so there's like this whole thing going on and we just get out and walk across the street with the dogs <laughs> and hang out with this Red Dawn Rock taking pictures with AKs. Like as soon as the truck would go by, we'd start taking pictures. <laughs> and yeah, then like hiding the weeds and chest rigs. Go by filming, and then we'd hide. We'd jump out from the weeds and start taking pictures again. That's pretty crazy. It was pretty. Oh, yeah. now, is cops is that public land right in that area, or is that private? I'm Wait, assuming it would be assigned if it was public lands, but. Well, this is all just national forest or something. It's nothing. It's everybody's. They're just filming there. They just had the cops because they're super dangerous. They're they're flying down the road with a cop car chasing them, you know, filming some commercial. I guess they're filming a commercial for like getaway drivers, like buy our truck. It's the best truck for getting away from cops or something. Yeah, it was it was kind of odd. And the cops, you could see them kind of looking at us, wondering who are these two yahoos with the AKs and the chest rigs and all that shit. And you know there's some commercial out there with like Chevy trucks or something, and they're like, <laughs> like there's a moment where you see two dudes standing in the yeah. weeds with a bunch of AKs and take off. Built like a rock. What are those two guys doing in the background? Which uh, your cop car that you were in was was that a Ford? Yeah. It'd be kind of funny if somebody rolls in in a Ford with a bunch of guns to interrupt the Chevy commercial. Oh yeah, I don't know. No, well, I'm pretty sure after the fact they thought I was a cop because I look like cop in my cop car and then they figured bob was probably like you know some bartender or somebody's camper for like you know recreating or whatever taking a break because we looked like we were part of the crew i imagine and that cop didn't have some list of everybody who could be in there so they just let us in and then after some point they were like yelling about having to refuel a helicopter or something and we're like can we leave <laughs> and they're like yeah get out of here quick so we like you know hauled ass out of there like while they were refueling the helicopters. Oh, you had to drive across the 
what was I'm gonna call it the set to get we drove into the set because we didn't even know we were being let into a set. I just saw the rocks and pulled in, and then before we knew it, we were part of the crew. And I'm like, fuck this, I'm walking across and taking these pictures anyway. And then we figured out that they're driving back and forth with the cop car and the helicopter and all because at first we just thought they were making a movie or something down there, we didn't know. But after about the fifth time this car went by with the cop chasing it, with a helicopter chasing the two of them, we figured out they were filming a commercial or something. I mean, you can imagine where they filmed Red Dawn. Like, it's spectacular there. So that's why they filmed Red Dawn there. It's, it's amazing looking. And, uh, you know, perfect spot for a commercial, I guess. doesn't cost nothing. You just go out to some road and drive on it all afternoon. Remember what? Every half hour, the cops would let all the traffic go through. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. And then we were like, hey, let us out. We're, like, not part of your group. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. But, yeah, all these cars would go through, and they'd see all this stuff going on, and then they'd look on the other side of the road and see these two guys with AKs and and chest rigs. And <laughs> but they'd look at that side and go, oh, that's the Red Dawn Rock. And then they would understand, and then they'd be jealous. Anyhow, so that was uh, – I don't know how we well, got into that. We had a show from there, didn't we? No, because we had, didn't know. We had internet, and as soon as we dropped down into that hole, there was no internet. Yeah. We were, that was the theory, is we were going to oh, we Yeah, we could have almost. If we had, like, a helium, helium balloon in my my internet thing now, we could. As long as we could get it up to, like, 1,000 feet, we could do it. So who's next? I'm going to go with um, the movie The Park is Mine. Has anybody seen that one? It sounds very familiar, but I can't. Picture. Oh, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones, right? Yeah, it was a made for HBO. It took me forever to find it. But I, back in the olden days of cable, it was on like for a month. So I've seen it like a billion times back in the day. And it's some guy from Nam. He's old. And he comes back from Nam and it's sort of like Rambo. He goes and meets up with his other friend from Nam who's now dead. And the guy who died was like, here, I want you to do something for me. Like I set up all of Central Park with like uh, both real landmines and and claymores and stuff, and fake ones. And then I got like this bunker in the middle of uh, Central Park, and I stocked it with like AKs and guns and stuff. So there's mags that are real ammo, and then mags that are dummy ammo. And I want you to go out there and I forget what the point was, like do it for the vets or something, or do it for the POWs. There was some like altruistic reason that he was going to take over Central Park and he basically gun runs around for the first half of the movie like just making noises and shooting off blanks and freaking everybody out and then when the police try to get rid of him he flips it over to guns or real ammo and weird movie but it was again one of the first movies where there was just nothing but AKs in it close ups and he wanted to show the plight of the homeless or something was he playing the role of a Vietnam vet? Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to be a vet who lived and his, you know, friend died. And it was supposed to, like, be a plight of the vets, I think. Yeah, because there were a number of different. movies that uh, portrayed uh, Vietnam vets in a negative light after the war actually ended. And after we withdrew from uh, Saigon. And, and that's one of them. Mm, it definitely wasn't a great movie. I'm not because, saying you know, it, it played to that al alternate uh, version of guys coming home from war are definitely all screwed up. 
and it's their fault and like they should somehow be able to keep that in check yeah yeah but um anyway there was a lot of ak's and it was early early on uh go around again bob uh boy oh boy uh well i'm gonna have to go with the 18. the a-team yes yeah, yeah. so you're gonna go with a tv show but honestly i mean well, it was I was a going with movie they made it a movie yeah i was going with the movie it was watchable the movie yeah where they steer a Leave tank by hitting it downwards as they're falling out of an airplane. Oh no, that's GI Joe. Yeah. No, that no, was. Uh, I don't remember. I have to go watch it again. Then I don't remember the movie enough to remember if there's a case in it. All right, well, well, part of so. it takes place somewhere in the Middle East, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw the show a couple of times, but it was so bad, I I never never even knew there was a movie. And if there was, I probably wouldn't have seen it, only because I would have thought of the TV show. Well, I like the TV show, but the movie was not the TV show. But all right, so Dana, you already said, said what was the movie? Yeah, we're going around again. Oh, you want another movie? Three times, yeah, you need three. Oh man, I. I I'll I'll come back to me later. All right. So then, uh, Santos. Um, I'm gonna say Commando. Commando. Is there even an AK in that one? You mean the bad oh, guys? Yeah. I always have them at one point. Schwarzenegger picks one up. I, they always play like the B roll in that movie. Well. There are a lot of different firearms in that movie. But... Well, I'm thinking about uh, infantry rifles. I mean, you, you have the M16, and then you have the uh, the AK. Yeah. In, in that particular movie. Um, well, yeah. if we want to talk about just somebody picking one up, uh, Goldeneye, I think. So whenever whenever uh, Remington Steele is James Bond. And he's like in the beginning of one of them, and the, it's whatever one his friend, who's also a double O eight or six or something, he thinks dies, but then he turns out to be the bad guy. I don't remember. What, I think it's Goldeneye. Anyway, in the beginning of that movie, you know how there's like always a beginning of a James Bond movie, and then they play the beginning credits or whatever. Like right. in that, yeah. in that beginning part, he's got a little crank. He kills the shit out of people with a crank. All right, so can we do a third? Sure. Um, Seven days in Entebbe. Entebbe. Well, I haven't seen it. Went into uh, um, oh, Idi Amin's country to rescue the hijacked passengers of the plane. So I haven't was, seen uh, it. Yeah, it all. The Mossad? Yeah, it was the Mossad when it, well, uh, Israeli special forces. I don't know if they were in Mossad because Mossad's more their spy guys. But it was their counterterrorism guys oh, in there. One dude, so IDF or whatever they're called. Yeah, and they went in against uh, well, EDMN. So that's uh, what the hell is that country? Um, in Africa. 
I don't I can't Kuwait. remember the name of the damn country. Kuwait? No. No, um you know Idi Amin, the guy who was eating his people. Idi Amin? I Idi remember Amin. the name, but that was before I was paying attention to politics, I think. Yeah. But. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was where the Israelis went in and rescued so it was an African country supplied by the Russians, so all the all the bad guys, you know. That was that. Uganda. Uganda. There you go. Thank you. Uganda. Yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. So. I don't remember the movie, but I, I remember the event. It's yeah. really no, recent. It's not that old really, movie. It's a really good movie. Um, Isn't it like this last year only? No, this was, oh, it was long. It was a while ago. Nineties, I think. At least the movie. Yeah. I mean. He was made back then. Yeah, the movie was made in the nineties. I think. Well, I'm thinking of a different movie. Yeah. All right, Dano. Um, my basket is empty, and that's not the name of the movie. And then uh, Sandhills. All right, hold on. Let me uh, let me do this real quick here. This is I've been saving this one for the last. So Danos can be from Paris with love. The movie is freaking awesome and uses a Romanian Draco, Volato Draco. Okay. From Paris with love. <laughs> In addition to jabbing a dude with his own Beretta slide, which is why you should never carry Beretta. I should watch that movie. I don't think I've ever seen it. Dude, from Paris Mine. with love, John Travolta being a badass operator with some other guy. It's awesome. It is a really, really good movie. Oh, I think maybe I did watch that. Was the other guy, He's the young kid, star. his his girlfriend or something was yes. like a double agent, right? Yeah, and I they I, only, I they shoot like a bunch of holes in a roof of some place, and cocaine pours out of the ceiling or something, and then they hold like a vase under it, and they're like walking around with a vase full of cocaine for like a portion of the movie, and it's just a crazy, <laughs> crazy movie. I really like it. It's like I really like Taken. Right, that stupid ass movie Taken, because it was a dumb movie. But like, I remember a scene where he's going upstairs and he harvests mags and guns and shit off a guy. Right, you're you're going after your daughter in a foreign country and you're an operator. You're not just shooting people in stairways and running past them. You're you're harvesting their stuff. Like in real life, you're gonna do that. And they did that in Taken. But then that guy's super anti-gun, so I refuse to like that movie. From Paris with Love is like that. Like if he's gonna take somebody out, he's going to search them real quick, take their radio and like, you know, take their intel. And so he's a real operator. He's like actually, you know, doing stuff with intent and reporting back to the CIA and stuff. It's like a really cool, and they don't try to dumb it down and like, I'm taking the radio so that we will listen to their comms. You know, like he just does stuff and you just have to pay attention and realize that he's really doing all kinds of neat stuff. They've got much better, um, consultants or something to movies these days so they can like incorporate some stuff so that the uh, just way more authentic or at least it seemed like it all right was that enough time are you trying to get it ready there nope. oh you got it if you're playing something yeah did you I, no. Did it come through? No, if you try to play something from the same laptop, it usually sound effects itself right out. You don't know.
So because I'm it's I'm on my phone, so oh, I don't okay. even have another I don't have another device to play it from. I played the the clip from uh, Jackie Brown where Sam Jackson says AK forty seven when you absolutely positively have to kill every mofo in the room except no substitutes. That's true, and that's an iconic one too because that's you know, that was a sound clip for it's still a sound clip. Yeah, that's sound clip that comes up everywhere. All right, so then it's me again. It'll be Charlie Wilson's War, hands down, second best to Red Dawn, probably. AK movie. Have you seen this one? No. Yep. Where Char- Charlie Wilson is the, in the CIA? Charlie Wilson was a senator from Texas or something. Yes, and he got in a lot of trouble for partying too much, but he yeah, actually he was a pretty good partier. But he was like, you know what? I think the Afghanistanis don't need to be kicking their shit kicked out of them by the Russians. Let's let's stop that. And he basically wow. did. He pulled the Vietnam version of, or the, he turned Afghanistan into their Vietnam. Yeah, started yeah. supplying the Afghan, uh, well, the Mujahideen. Yeah. Whatever. He started supplying them with uh, like Romanian AKs, Roman, no. wherever you no. could find AKs. Egyptian AKs Egyptian. moved through Israel to the Mujahideen. So Is this a fictional movie? No, it's legit. It's a real movie. How, how does a senator that. get that kind of authority? That's what's awesome. That's why you gotta watch this. He just because he he was he was definitely or I don't know is he dead? He, he was the head of a was, appropriations or something. He was something. was the kind of guy that's gonna uh, ask for an apology and not permission, like or whatever. Apologize instead of asking whatever that saying is. He he just did stuff that he ask thought for was forgiveness. Yeah, ask for Congress forgiveness. doesn't set policy. Well, there's black budgets, and he was in a department that had black budgets, and he diverted money to buy these AKs that couldn't be traced to the United States and armed the Mujahideen and repelled, you know, with a few people, relatively few people, and some AKs repelled the entire Russian army for years. Stagnant. Eventually, yeah, he eventually got them when the when the Russians started using their helicopters extensively. He got the the uh, Mujahideen, the uh, uh, stingers. stingers. Yeah, dude, he's yeah. got a stinger. In his some photographs now, and the guy who played that character, I remember seeing that that image, that actor. He's got like he had a stinger in his office, like a full auto AK. Because he just didn't care. Yeah. Well, wasn't he Texan? Yeah. Yeah. He was. He was a. <laughs> he was a badass man. <laughs> oh, George has a good one. And on the YouTube side, unfortunately, I should have been on the gun channel side. Lord of War. I can't believe no one brought up that one. Dan, we're gonna have that for now, a second. Now that I saw. Yeah, that was a good, brilliant movie. That's super neat. I mean, it's kind of dumb, but the opening credits. Oh, the opening credits are insane. Where the you 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 are the first little piece of brass that gets pushed into a cartridge and then filled with powder and a projectile gets crammed on you, you get put into a crate, you get brought to someplace in Africa, you get thrown out onto a thing, you get moved around, you get your lid ripped off, you finally get loaded into a mag, and then you're sent right between the eyes of some motherfucker. So uh, crazy, and then the the 
freaking one-liners from that movie are awesome. The the scenes of the warlords, like what do you call it, like bunkers. Oh. It was also very interesting as far as uh, getting a, a better understanding of the government uh, um, uh, acquisition system yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and just how how the um, uh, how armaments move throughout the world. Right. How many channels? Yeah, like if we need stuff somewhere, we need people that can get stuff somewhere without having our fingerprints on it. And I'm sure other countries have like that. And then, so I mean, as long as it comes from Canada, just we'll ignore the little Chinese symbols on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or 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 when they repackaged them. Yeah, yeah. Put them in a different box. Yeah. Those are Chinese symbols. I don't speak French. I just assumed it was French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one little last one. If anybody has probably Netflix or Amazon, whoever happens to have um, MacGyver, the TV show still on. Um, if you go to... Well, I'm not going to remember anymore. I think it was episode two of season four, but I might be off. Anyway, look for the, I know the episode is called The Gun, and it's a horrible, you know, MacGyver is okay, but he was a crazy gun, anti-gun guy. And the show was like super anti-gun after a while. And this was definitely one of the anti-gun ones. It's called The Gun. It's called, the episode is called The Gun. And it's supposed to be the gun that started World War One, which was... The assassin's yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was some kind of weird revolver or something. I was a little 32 semi-auto, but um, whatever that gun was, it was supposed to, they made it sound like in the MacGyver episode, like it was that gun. But it was supposedly some gun that started a revolution that had significance and it was... Uh, it, it was supposedly because it was the gun that started this whole atrocity, it was a you know haunted gun or it had you know it was a evil gun and uh since then it had been sold at police auction and and it had murdered so many people and then got resold at police auction because there's the system that lets the guns back on the streets right it was just like morbidly anti-gun but uh as part of macgyver trying to figure out the path of destruction that this gun has led um, he goes to an AK-47 factory, which turns out it's actually in Canada, but in the movie or in the TV show, it's supposed to be in California. But <clears throat> somewhere in Canada, they've created a really cool, like whole big warehouse full of AKs. And I don't know of any Canadian manufacturer of AKs. So that was just all props. But if you watch that episode called The Gun, it's cool. They, there's hundreds of AKs in this building this room i really thought it was one of the uh, u.s importers or somebody like to have that many guns i figured they went on location and filmed that at one of the importers but uh i guess they just took every canadian movie ak and stuck them in one room and yeah, well, up, until, uh, up until the mid 80s we could actually own ak's and stuff so we had tons well, of them this would have probably been something i don't know is it, it was not the first seasons of, of macgyver but um and then at the end i guess when you're a 
crazy arms dealer, what you do is you just put a bunch of AKs in a giant box. It's like as big as a car. And then you put that on a cargo container boat going somewhere. So at the end, MacGyver has to uh, do something and he like breaks the lines on this cargo container. So it like dumps like all the AKs in the move and the show onto the dock. And I don't know how they filmed that because it, they had to destroy a bunch of things that either look like AKs or they just destroyed a bunch of AKs doing it. But I'm assuming that, that, that a lot of that was literally pipes painted and things like that. Or like the rubber casts, the rubber molds, they'll make those. Right. Quick. But it had yeah, to be. Just the thing is, when they kind of slow motioned the first time you see the factory in the show, you know, you see things being assembled and like parts and stuff. So they can't all be rubber, but yeah, anyway, it's an interesting like blip on the normally anti-gun MacGyver to see this like fictitious California AK factory. All right, yes. so that's, go ahead. You know, I was just gonna say it's weird because Richard Dean Anderson didn't used to be anti-gun until he moved to Hollywood. Well, it's probably a certain amount of like, I want a job still. And maybe, yeah. I don't know, he's trying to go out with or something. People think I'm, my opinion's important, so I'll share it with them. Well, no, I think it's... Well, I no, think but it really if there's, like, Bloomberg is funding a movie, and he's like, I don't want anybody in it who's not, like, adamantly anti-gun or something, maybe something like that. Like, they have to go on the record just so that they can get a job. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of that goes on in Hollywood. There, there's a lot of people who are pro-gun but can't say anything. And a lot of people that just simply don't care and they'll sell their soul to the highest bidder. And Yeah, if it's not important care. to you at all. It's like if somebody asked me to like be adamantly pro something about a sewing machine, you know, I could care less. So I'm going to say, you know, sure, whatever. All sewing machines should be right-handed or something. Yeah, but we tend, people like us tend to be the exception. Not really. I mean... People who would actually take time out, spend their own money, to, as an example, to go to a gun rights policy conference. Well, yeah, there's that. But it's just like, you know, there's a, there's a yeah. Oh, okay, I see your point. Like, there's Drive extreme... hundreds or a thousand miles or take an airplane to go to a gun show. Spend thousands of dollars good getting training. These are mm -hmm. exceptions. You shouldn't even come to talk if you haven't done all those things. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's our AKs in movies. If you got other movies with AKs in them, you can put it in the comments if you want, or go have a different show or chat about it in the off-air, or not off-air, but in the uh, after shows or the after chats and uh, come up with other movies. There's obviously lots of them. And we didn't use IDMDB, so I'm proud of us. Um. We like to talk about a gun shop every day. It's one of the reasons we do the daily gun show. And let's see if I have one in here already. Gun shop. It says, what was your favorite gun shop? So that's, I was kind of throwing some stuff in here as I was scheduling so that it's not necessarily the same thing every day. So, you know, sometimes we talk about a museum or a surplus store or something, but today we're just going to ask, what was your favorite or what is your favorite gun shop, Bob? Uh, Wolverine Sales um, in Burden, Manitoba. I think I did. Uh, I think I did it on the Daily Gun Show one day. 
Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a it's absolutely amazing. Um, the, he, the guy's got full autos, which is really unusual in Canada. He's got his own range right outside the gun shop. Uh, he's got World War One machine guns that are fully operational, uh, MG 34s that are fully functional. Um, you know, he's got Thompson Sten guns, everything in the shop, um, in cases and hanging on the walls, and uh, just an amazing shop and. A huge amount of guns, like tons of ARs. Um, pretty much, like ton. He's one of the big importers of VZ58s. Um, so yeah, just an amazing shop, especially being really close to me. It's half an hour away from where I live now, and and uh, yeah, great place. Okay, Dana. Uh, my favorite is Gat Guns in East Dundee, Illinois. Uh, the reason it's my favorite, and I haven't been there a whole lot, especially lately because I moved away from the area. I used to live in that area, uh, is, you know, where I live now, the gun stores, they're small mom and pop, and they have very little selection. Although that place technically is a mom and pop, it has an incredible selection of stuff for being in that category of a mom and pop, uh, and uh, it's it's just kind of dumbfounding the the selection that they have not only in pistols, rifles, hunting gear, reloading gear, powders, primers, uh, shooting range, and, and I'm talking about an up to date shooting range, not a 1950s kind of shooting range. Um, and uh, it just uh, it it's it, for being owned by a family, you know, it's it's really amazing how much they have there. I mean, you would think you were at a, a smaller version of a Cabela's minus the stuffed animals. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been to stores that have more stuff in them or, you know, they're say, the same size. But Gat has done something where you're saying, like, family-owned or whatever, but they've managed to keep that, like, small shop kind of atmosphere while it's physically grown. And I've seen other shops that are physically about the same or bigger, but I don't know, maybe it's just something about, obviously it's something about their dynamic of their, you know, their, the, the people they hire is based off of, you know, their interests and what they want to see their store be. So obviously they got some flavor there, but anyway, a lot of the other stores, you'll have a little less, uh, more big box feel where people just seem like employees, not actively interested in, what you're doing and making sure you got I mean, even, even the inventory of knives that they had. I mean, it, it, it just like, and at least again, I'm coming from a, as this is good as you're getting, you're about to be in almost to the Chicago suburban area, almost, uh, you know, as you're getting closer and closer. Um, and of course that's, that's part, part of the attraction is, is because is in the city of Chicago, there are no gun stores. There's three and a half million people in Chicago and not one gun store. So obviously the gun stores that do exist out in the burbs get a lot of business. Right. And they've either folded or I guess they've either folded or existed, but GAT has thrived. They've folded yep. well. Yeah. I was going to pick GAT, so... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was. I didn't, though. But it was. It was in. It's going to always be probably one of my top three. Sandhills. 
favorite gun shop? Hey, maybe if I hit my mute button, you can hear me. Or my unmute button. Um, I, I don't really have a favorite. I don't have one in town here that that really I'm crazy about. There's There's two pawn shops and then one actual gun shop here in town, and I'm not crazy about any of them. Right now, I think my favorite is probably any Shields store because it doesn't matter which one I go into. They've got a lot of selection and Uh-oh. they've got, uh, they've got employees that actually know what they're talking about for the most part. Well, I they've went got- into a shield store in, okay. We're Minnesota and Fargo, North Dakota are next to each other. There's some yeah. town. I forget what the name of the town is next to Fargo. Like, is it more, more head? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's fitting. Cause anyway, their shields, I walked, I drove all the way into Minnesota from Fargo. Keep in mind, all the way from Fargo into Minnesota. And then <laughs> I find out that that Shields doesn't have guns. I had to go all the way back to Fargo, North Dakota to go to the one that had the Ferris wheel and the guns and stuff. And that blew me away. Like that had a lot of guns. Yeah, anyway, Shields. They, they do have a Shields that doesn't have guns in it in whatever that town is, <laughs> Morehead, Minnesota. It's all just like girls running stuff. So I'm walking around like, nope, more running like shoes, like, nope, like running pantyhose, like, nope, running bras. Like, come on, is there anything? I'm like, finally go up to the front. I'm like, are there guns in this store? Like, you better go to North Dakota for that. <laughs> I had to drive all the way back into North Dakota. <laughs> we talked about, Bob, have you been to Fargo? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always thought now, Fargo was like a city or like maybe even a town. I didn't realize it was like six gas stations and like four yeah. restaurants. You want to hear something that I just found here in the city? There's actually um, a gun store inside our Home Depot, not Home Depot, Home Hardware. It's a freaking hardware store. And you go into the back and there's, you know, about a 20 foot wall with a counter and they sell hunting rifles and you know a few other things even a few handguns <laughs> but it's in a like a hardware store oh yeah i mean that's i grew up with that being a thing like most hardware stores had a gun section it was oh, weak yeah. compared to a gun shop but if you needed like shotgun yeah, shells anything like that or years. i i haven't seen that in years i like i and there's no advertising really for it. Like there's nothing on the outside of the store. I was in there looking for something else, like hinges for a cupboard. And all of a sudden went, oh shit, there's guns here. And sporting goods and, you know, bows and a few other things. But, you know, very small. I gotta, I should actually go in there and get some pictures. Yeah. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons they don't put it out front so that people don't get all upset and hate them just for the, you know, possibility and just let it be like you know for the people who bother going in there's not a lot of that here i mean we like our local radio stations have um uh instagram and facebook contests where you know you send in your you know whatever the deer you shot during the season or whatever you you know rabbit you killed or whatever it's we're pretty redneck out here hey Gee, I just uh, threw a link in the gun channels chat there. Of a, that's a gun shop in Minnesota that I, I want to get to. 
my brother-in-law lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and it's about an hour east of him into Minnesota. And that place, from what I hear, it's this guy just had an FFL out. He lives, you know, out in the country uh, outside this little bitty town. And he started doing enough gun trade that he uh, put everything, moved everything out of his garage and actually built a shop. And he's just kind of expanded a couple times. And now he has like an annual open house where there are reps from like most of the major manufacturers, um, accessory manufacturer, everybody shows up to this thing. It's just out in the middle of nowhere in, in a guy's metal building that he built. His name is Kiergaard. And uh, I really want to get to that one sometime. Yeah, Roosted was telling me something similar story in Minnesota. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't remember it being a name like that, but you didn't write it down ever, I don't think. So maybe I, I think it's in Minnesota. Yeah, I think that's the shop where my brother-in-law bought his uh, Browning M1919. He walked in there and saw that, and right next to it on a tripod was a Deuce that he couldn't afford, but he, he went home with the uh, the M1919. It's rechambered for for 7.62 by 51, but still, it's a cool gun. <coughs> oh, that's kind of neat. So... I don't know if um, Roosted's out there. I don't see him, but that is in the same neck of the woods as the one he was talking about. He was really adamant. He's like, go there, go there. But uh, the weather started acting funny, so I booked out of there in the middle of the night, and they weren't open the next night. Um, like, white stuff started falling out of the air. Number one, yeah. No, it was slush. And I don't know when ice happens in North Dakota. So I didn't want to be there for any of it. Because I figured if I'm driving, I can drive away from the weather. Like you don't have to, you know, it's just like a boat. You don't have to sit in the weather. You can, if you're mobile, you can move away from weather. weather Did you say North Dakota? North Dakota, yeah. Oh, okay. Ice, I think in North Dakota, ice happens 300 days out of the year. And, and 65 days, there's no ice. Yeah, like, I mean, so, like right now, they can have ice or, or yeah, having ice. It was, it was accumulating yeah. slush, you know, so I knew that it, all it had to do was get cold and then that turns into ice in different places. And I mean, I barely understood the concept. It's been tw two decades since I had to drive in that stuff very often. So, and that, and I live in what I lived there for like, I mean, I grew up driving around in snow. But that's sitting in a passenger seat. I actually drove in snow for what two years, and then I moved away. So I definitely am not going around saying I'm an expert I'm a snow driver or nothing. Driving in snow is yeah, whatever. Some I don't. Hard frost just the other night here. Jeez, we had we had it, it snowed here already, but it's it was beautiful today. It was like 50, 45, 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It was just gorgeous. Oh, I think I you know what you're talking about, Simpson. Anyhow, so yeah, I don't know what my shop would be. Um, I kind of want to say that shop that is in Cody, Wyoming, that's called uh, Cody Firearms Experience. 
and it's right outside the the gate of Yellowstone, where three million, two and a half to three million people go into Yellowstone. So that means two and a half to three million people see that sign saying, "Shoot guns, shoot the gun of Annie Oakley, shoot a, gu a Gatling gun." And uh, even if they're not interested, I think there's a lot that that's adding a lot to our culture, our you know our overall community because people know that there's a gun shop there and they can hate guns as much as they want and they can listen verbatim to whatever they're told, but there's going to be some just some glitch in their head because they know that there's a gun shop right there and there's not murders happening while three and a half million or two and a half million people from all over the world go in and out of there. So I really, really, really like that. But at the same time, you got Vegas, right? So I'm going to probably say the gun store in Vegas because they've been there for so long. And I just personally have been going to that store for, again, decades. So it's been neat to watch it evolve. But <clears throat> they're the closest to the strip. There's another one called Las Vegas Gun Club or something down the on the road to Pahrump that has been there, I think, just as long or maybe even longer, but just as long. But no one goes to Pahrump. Like very few people leave the strip and drive all the way down like they're going to Pahrump where almost everybody comes out of the airport and sees the gun store. So, uh, I mean, Yellowstone gets two, three million people a year in like a couple of months where Vegas 2365, 24-7 has people coming in from all over the country and all over the world. And those, <clears throat> all of them really, but, you know, I guess I'm saying the gun store, you know, are ambassadors to that and again doesn't matter what people how much they hate or how little they pay attention they have to put it in their mind that there's a place in vegas that lets people rent machine guns how possibly dangerous can they be when anybody can rent them and people from all over the world with no training successfully shoot them so i, I really think that's going to be my choices not because they're necessarily the best or the most interesting shops but because of what they're doing so are, are you su suggesting the machine gun shops in Las Vegas rather than one particular place? Well, I was saying in general, but if I had to pick one, it's the one called the gun store, which is the one that has the state of Nevada with an MP5 in front of it. So it's like a, a logo that if you've been to Vegas a couple of times, you start to recognize because you see it more often than the others. I've never been, so I have no idea. Basically, Vegas is a strip, right? It's one strip, one street, and all the hotels are on it. And it's over the years gotten longer, and eventually it broke into two pieces. And there's the old piece, and then the new piece. And the new piece is hardly new; it's older than. Are they parallel, perpendicular to each other? Doesn't matter. For all matter, it's just one street. Doesn't really matter. They're kind of like a set, the shape of a seven, but doesn't matter. There, there's one street. The rest of the town exists and once you get like two or three streets away from the strip it's just a regular town again it's just that it's a weird town because 99 percent of the people are there to support this one street where there's massive hotels and you know you go west and you see mountains in the distance you know wherever any state you're in out here if you look under the horizon you see mountains there's terrain in vegas it's unique because no matter where you are in the city pretty much there's this artificial terrain of these giant thing so it's a, it's a unique city but there's really not much to it is what i'm getting at there's one street 
And for the most part, all the hotels are on this one, let's call it a crooked street. So everybody, and there's one, one airport. So everybody gets out of the airport and Howard Hughes put his airport like, you know, five minutes from his hotel. So you get out of the airport on one street, you take a left and you're on the strip. Like there's, there's nothing. There's, you're out of the airport, you're on the strip. And most people that go to Vegas just to hang out, that's all they see is the airport, the street, and then the strip and whatever hotel they're in. And then the street, the airport, and they're out of there. How long would you say the strip is? Now it is four miles. It used to be like one. So, I I mean, I'm just trying to comprehend what you're saying. So basically, Las Vegas exists to support the strip. And the strip is literally only four miles long and supporting, what, two and a half million people, something like that? Hell no. Way more than two and a half million. Two and a half million, like, in a thing. No, like way more. It's got to be way more. I don't know. That'd be an interesting thing to look up. But basically, it's the most hotel. That it's got to be the most biggest hotels in the world, right? There might be a bigger hotel somewhere, but not like all in one town. So it, it's basically either the most hotels or the you know world class hotels in that four miles. So it's not like a bunch of Holiday Inns. It's you know these casinos. Anyway, all I'm getting at is a lot of people go to Vegas and they don't really give a shit about anything about Nevada or Vegas or anything. They get out of the airport, they go to the strip, they get back in the airport and they leave. The gun store is between the airport and the strip, basically. I mean, it's technically a little bit off to the right. But again, anybody who like goes to get something to drink off the strip, anybody who goes to wash clothes, anybody who like leaves the strip for any reason, there's a potential you're seeing this gun shop. And they they advertise everywhere. So there's trucks running around that say shoot a machine gun. There's banners and billboards and stuff that'll say shoot a machine gun, all strategically placed for people that are just coming there to gamble and leave because they, like any other attraction, they want you to know all the different things you have available to you in Vegas. So anyway, all I'm getting at is I'm thinking all of them in general, because now that they're all there, it's an actual thing. People go to Vegas just to shoot machine guns. I mean, there's 12 places you can shoot machine guns, I think. So that means you could literally show up in Vegas with a handful of cash and just spend a week shooting machine guns at different places all every day, a different place, or two, two every day. And there's got to be people that do that. Um, and that's awesome. Like I say, that's... that's yeah, I, I totally get it. After my one experience of, of being able to, to go someplace, and that was out at uh, Wanamaker where we got to rent, rent some... Uh, uh, machine guns was absolutely I, I totally get why why it's a thing now, of course i've always assumed it's a thing but you know i never had the opportunity so i didn't well but like i guess what i'm saying is even aside from the actual people that pull triggers because yeah i think once you pull triggers on one that you've rented you probably already were pro gun very few people are probably brought kicking and screaming into that but no matter what your position was as soon as you pull the trigger you pretty much figure out oh these things aren't death machines. I have to operate every single aspect of it. And it's so easy to miss the target. These aren't as deadly and as, you know, ultimately evil as the media would like us to believe. So I think that, yeah, once you pull a trigger, you're, you're not anti-gun anymore, probably. But I'm thinking of those people that are just don't give a crap about pulling a trigger. They're just there to gamble or to drink or to do whatever weird thing they're going to do in Vegas and leave it there. But they see that sign. And that's where I'm saying those gun shops, I'm trying to give them some extra credit because 
just because they're doing what they're doing in the place they're doing it, they're be they have become ambassadors for our our community for the entire world. Right. Right. Because all these other people are are just aware that there's a machine gun rental place there. You know, if we yeah. were really losing and we really had to be ashamed, like we wouldn't have banners, like giant things that cost tons of money competing with each other to say, come shoot machine guns at my place. I mean, that's a whole nother world when I guess it's the same as, uh, I don't know, um, gambling, right? Vegas was the only place you could gamble. But what happened? People went there to gamble because it was the only place you could gamble. And it was like, you know, I guess sometimes it's run by the mob, but then Howard Hughes came in and cleaned all that up, right? So now it's just a place where people gamble and it's kind of fun. And it's, you know, just a recreation. And now we got riverboat gambling and we got casinos gambling. And I mean, uh, reservations have casinos and stuff. So now there's gambling everywhere. Uh, the like marijuana Amsterdam. thing. Huh? Like Amsterdam, right? Yeah, exactly. The marijuana thing. Yep. Like, uh, you know, you can have marijuana for medicinal stuff. Oh, if people aren't dying from that, okay, you can have it for recreational. Like, oh, there's not people dying in the streets. I think it's one of those kind of cultural change things. And I don't know if somebody's, I don't think anybody deliberately did it, but I think that we should consider it a win. I mean, again, I guess I'm saying years ago, you go to Vegas and there was one place where you could rent machine guns. Now you go to Vegas and there's 12 places that are competing with each other to beg you to shoot machine guns there. Right. And, and, and in a way, but that competition also makes it more affordable for the tourist versus yeah, if there was one point. or two. That's a good point. And it means that if a swarm of people show up for some convention, there's 12 different places that can, can, can deal with them. So it's not like, oh, I really wish I could shoot machine guns, but I don't want to wait for four hours at the one place. Right. Now it's like, I want to shoot machine guns. 20 minutes later, there's a, a Humvee with an M60 on top of it dragging you to the place you know, to drop you off so you can immediately shoot your machine gun. Yeah, that's a big thing. It's, it's advertising for them. They drive around and pick you up and from your hotel, take you to the to the range where you can shoot. Great. Yeah, that door-to-door -door service has only got to make it even, even more popular. And again, it's the advertising like bob's saying like when they come pick you up they make a big deal about it this guy's shooting a machine gun they'll have like fake noise coming out of them so it looks right. like you know so um that's what i picked but obviously i'm all about gun shops there's lots and lots and lots of different criteria we could focus that to some other angle and i think that would be a fun question so maybe that's what we'll do next time is we'll say like what's your favorite mountain top shop or what's your favorite you know, almost a big box or what's your favorite place to buy ammo or something like that. I think this, this topic, one of the things that, that I found very interesting is, 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 uh, is it shows the, the, the huge breadth depending on location, 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 as far as what is the, uh, your, your most favorite gun store. Uh, obviously we all live in different places. We lived, you know, uh, different lives. And so we're exposed to different things. Yeah, and then we have different interests in shooting, right? So, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. So, um, member of the day, uh, Santos, your newest one. Uh, you want to pick somebody to feature for our member of the day? We'll give you a minute. And you're on the spot. 
Remember to unmute your mic. Anyway, <laughs> um, listen to Clover's show. We talked about um, uh, going to Wanamaker and just uh, kind of had a planning BS session to kind of talk about stuff. And um, number one, it's good to listen to Clover's shows. They're always interesting. And since he doesn't script them or anything, we just start with a topic and have an interesting panel of people who are involved in creating content. It becomes an interesting sort of you know, chat session. But in addition to just listening to it as entertainment, I'm hoping people will listen to it and help us come up with ways that we can make our time at Wanamaker as effective as possible. Uh, a lot of us are taking time and money and effort to get there. And it's not just to make a bunch of selfies and chat about the stuff that we chat about every day on the internet anyway, but instead to you know promote the show, to help the vendors out, to make the people who are creating content have stronger channels or, or uh, projects. So anything you might've seen or have uh, an idea for something that might make it interesting, uh, let Clover know, let Ghost know, um, Snob, Santos, are you going down to the show this time in November? No, that's not not going to work. We're not even sure if we're going to make it in April. We want to. Yeah, it looks like uh, Travis went to some Metallica concert and spent all his money. So, so. he's not coming down either. <clears throat> but um, again, if you've got ideas for uh, ways to, I don't know, do something new at a show, uh, we're definitely all ears. You can always email us at dailygunshow at gmail.com as well. So that give you enough time to come up with a member of the day. I feel like we got a lot of dead air. We have to start this whole show over again. <laughs> well, so you know, watched uh, more. But Bob, you got one? Yeah, I was thinking roosted. Uh, not roosted, uh, uh, midnight rain. Who? Midnight. Oh, the the cook guy. Good. Yeah, because I think he just hit a thousand subs, if I'm right, or he just passed a thousand subs, or is almost at a thousand. Which mm, is, I think he was saying that the Daily Gun Show is at a thousand. He's convinced that a hot dog is an open face sandwich. So, oh, well, could be. Yeah. There's no way a thousand. But anyway, crazy. I I think he's a he he does some pretty interesting stuff. Even if he does think a hot dog is an open face sandwich. No, you're right, and he keeps kicking, and he's he does it in a way that uh, obviously a lot of people dig, and you can tell by the numbers. Panels are almost always full on Sundays, and it's late, so uh, I think he brings an interesting twist and a. Uh, unique attitude to it which is definitely everybody digs it on sundays now i i've not uh heard one of his shows I've, i'm obviously aware of him but i've not heard a, a show is it uh uh what's the 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 focus of his uh sunday show mm, semi-structured but he's you know he allows it to run off into whatever and then he'll he basically copies off of Matt. So whatever Matt did the first week or the previous week or during the week, let's say on uh, the nerd show or the Wednesday show, 
he does a bracket on something. Um, midnight just so he does would that be true? Huh? Entertainment things? Oh, no, no. Like, basically, if Matt did a bracket on like movies of the 80s, and then at some point during that chat, someone says, like, Kit Kat, well, then he'll do it on candy that weekend. So he'll steal Matt's format, but the topic is almost always like candy or sugary snacks or breakfast cereals or, you know, marshmallow treats. It's always something like that. Or maybe something else. But anyway, he does it sort of a, basically steals Matt's format and then, you know, runs it a little bit differently than Matt. Just enough so he doesn't get sued. <laughs> Anyway, and then he doesn't say like this is nerd chat or this is food chat or this is politics chat like Matt's try to focus his a bit uh, which means like I said it'll kind of just go to the it seems like it goes to the topic of the day I don't know maybe he's just super savvy and he makes it look like it's just naturally happening and he's really got it all scripted out I don't know but he's a real deal and yeah, it's always cool to see people throwing content and seeing how successful something like that where it's not like he said oh okay according to you know trends like blah 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 is the topic i should talk about and you know then we're going to talk about this because it's trending or something what's that population over there? oh that was uh las vegas according to google oh, i was gonna say there's no way that's far ago wow really five hundred thousand is google or is Vegas. So that's the population of Vegas. Does it say how much it swells during a busy weekend? Uh, no, that, that does not. I'm, I'm assuming that's just residents only. Mm -hmm. yeah, I would have thought that's more because that's it seems way bigger than Tucson, and that's a smaller number than Tucson, I think. Right, Tucson. Well, I think it's just because there's so many there's so many tourists there all the time. Yeah, right. there's no way to know who's like not supposed to be there, who doesn't live there. So it's just. There's a billion people there, and yeah, three quarters of them don't live there. Yeah, but it's got. There's got to be a way they can probably count every hotel room, and then minus twenty percent or something, and then figure that's what it can swell to or something. Or maybe take like the attendance of like the most busiest weekends of. Sometimes they'll have like five trade shows or something in one week. So take the three busiest weekends or something and see what it swells to. Yeah, plus just all the people who are there in their RVs or, or just there, you know, for a week on holiday. Uh, yeah, that aren't there for a specific thing just because it's warm or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's warm and, it and it's expensive. You know, <clears throat> it's uh, because there's so many people and there's so many options. There's tons of, I mean, you can go there on a budget. You can go there on a sky's the limit. I mean, you can have fun almost at any level in Vegas. And then I found out that there's a whole series of bums that go between Vegas and Salt Lake City. So right now they're on their Vegas migration. So that was interesting. Why do they migrate? Because it's cold in Salt Lake City. Like just like I left Salt Lake City because it started getting to like 30 something at night. Like screw that. So well, you just, why would they just stay in Vegas then? Because Vegas gets super hot and they go to Salt Lake City when it's super hot. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I don't know the West, so that's 
Yeah, it's weird because you're going from like, I don't know what the, the elevation of Vegas is. It's probably not much. And then Salt Lake City is like 5,000 feet. So even though you only go four hours north or something, it's also like 4,000 feet up. So, so you're the elevation thing. Yeah, I'm sure that it's much nicer in the summer than Vegas gets to be like Phoenix or something, 100 and plus. Ugh. Because I know uh, San Diego has a large homeless population because they can stay there year-round. Mm, yeah, exactly. So I didn't know about the migration thing. I mean, I assumed some bums, I know they'd come in and out of Tucson and stuff too, but I don't, I don't know, they don't have like a pattern that I know about of Tucson. I guess this is like an actual migration route where they, a bunch of them just live in those two cities. So like uh, the, <laughs> the <laughs> never mind. Well, you see them in like the truck stops. It's like I was hearing about it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like, wow. <laughs> well, I was like, thinking about a TV show on, on Sunday nights and how they referred to herds of people. It's kind of like that. And, and what's interesting is like now that I'm driving around and looking like I was hanging out in Vegas for a while and you'd look at like a park or like a there's, you know, like when you're driving down the highway, they'll just be not a rest area but a place for trucks to pull off and do their hours. You know, they have to wait. Right. So like, you know, just be like the, the road just gets a little wider and there's a garbage can there. And there's like a sign that says truck parking. They'll have a Google review of that. Like there'll be people that write all kinds of stuff about something as simple as that. So you put in like, you know, you're going from here to here and you type in like rest area and it shows you all those different things, parks and <clears throat> national forest like anything that might you know i mean like a neighborhood park like anything that you could potentially rest at and then, yeah i started looking at and you start looking at vegas reviews of like like a neighborhood park i was at this walmart and they really want people out of the parking lots at walmart in vegas like they do not want people hanging out in the parking lots in walmart so i was in a parking lot in walmart and i could tell that this guy security guy had come by like three times already like i didn't need to be there so uh i look on my map and there's a dog park <clears throat> right now the dog's shedding so i'm like great a dog park means i can go there and comb the dog and i'm probably not going to get yelled at i go over there actually i read the reviews and i went over there anyway the reviews were like you might as well give this park to the homeless like there's more drug stuff going on in this park than kids playing like this taken over by the homeless from this date to this date and that kind of thing I go over to that park, there's like you know, a playground or whatever, a little playground, you know how they have equipment for kids to play on, swings and stuff. They got like the fencing area for the dogs, like one of them roofs with picnic tables under it, <clears throat> and then some grass. It's just a little neighborhood park. And yeah, there's like a billion homeless people in there. And it was like, I was scared. I'm a grown man and I don't got a gun and shit. And like, you know, I'm not worried about nothing. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here. This is scary. I can't even yeah, imagine yeah. you just live in your neighborhood and this is your park. Like your kids can't even go to it. It's crazy. Right. And I guess, right. and you know, like they say in the reviews, like until November 14th or whatever, and then boom, they all leave <laughs> and then you can go to your park again. Well, I suppose if, if, if they, if the, if you have the police push them out of the park, they have to go somewhere. So it's either in the park or do you want them really roaming the neighborhoods? I mean, cause then it creates, if there's no other place to go, then it's going to be alleyways, neighborhoods of where people live. I mean, I don't know. And it's 
<clears throat> I don't, I really don't know. I just I didn't realize, you know, I don't, I never lived in a place that had that phenomenon or whatever. So I just didn't realize that's probably been going on for a long time. I mean, the, the <laughs> town that I'm working with is, is quite a few uh, homeless people. And it, it's, it, it's got to be different when they can just sleep on the picnic table with like no blanket though, you know? Well, yeah. Because that's the thing. These these weren't like carrying around a shopping cart type of homeless people. These were just like wearing dirty clothes and you know not carrying around like a bindle. So I don't know. Anyway, that's I don't know how we got into that. Yeah. So, yeah. You can move along. We're not going to solve that tonight. So uh, most people have left. There's nobody watching anymore. Uh, thanks to the people that did stick around. Hopefully it was something worth listening to. And uh, um, we'll uh, see you back here at the same time tomorrow. Adios.